Well, pardon for sin, bright hope for tomorrow. That is where we need to be in life. Uh, I want to take another reading. Time is flying on. But I do want to take another reading, and it's taken from Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's not what you would normally be reading at a harvest service, but what I'm going to say is probably not what you normally would say. It's Colossians chapter 1, and I'm just going to read from verse 1 through to 8. It's just a a short passage, but it's a setting. I'm going to lift a few verses out of each chapter of this book by way of address. Um, Colossians chapter 1, just begin there at verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Amen. Trust God to enlighten us. Uh, I'm tempted to be facetious and say, enlighten us quite quickly uh, uh, this morning. That may not happen. <laughs> uh, I came from uh, the country. I didn't come from the country originally. I came from Belfast. But I came from the country having ministered there in two churches for eight years, uh, to Belfast, uh, suffering a little bit from harvest, what I, what I like to call harvest fatigue. Uh, having spent my whole life in the city, I didn't really know anything about the country. I might as well have been going to China. Uh, I was going to Rathfryland. Uh, and I was amazed at the business that went on uh, around the harvest time. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, our man sat at the head of a very long driveway, just up a slight hill, and there were fields across the road. And you were coming into maybe August, September, and they were harvesting whatever happened to be growing in that field. And there were combine harvesters harvesting by searchlight at 11 o'clock at night. It's, it's very, very hard work and, and tiresome work. But I was suffering from harvest fatigue, not because of the combine harvester going up and down the field opposite the manse. Uh, I had two churches in the Newry Presbytery, and here's where the harvest fatigue started to come in. Each of them had three harvest services. One, three harvest services at the beginning of October, and the other one always had the last harvest services in the countryside at the end of October. In fact, the Monday night service quite often was on the 1st of November, (laughs) so it was, you know. And all told, that meant that in eight years, I had 48 harvest services, which which doesn't bear thinking about. Uh, I didn't obviously preach at all of them. That would be totally uh, exhausting. Um, But, you know, it was just one of those things. 
uh, the folk in the churches did year by year. Every church in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the district, in the community, and there were lots of these Presbyterian churches all around Ralph Island. They all had their Sunday. You never moved your Sundays because everybody had their position and you couldn't possibly move away from it or you would clash. And it would also mean, it would actually also mean that the people in that church couldn't go to your harvest service in that church if your service was on the same day as theirs. It also meant you couldn't use services, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't use the same sermons twice over because there was a lot of cross visiting across churches by the ministers. And have you, uh, <laughs> there was a friend of mine who, not in that area, but who preached a sermon uh, in a, a harvest sermon in, in, in his own church one Sunday, and he was taking a harvest service in another church the following Sunday, and he used the same sermon. And a man spoke to him at the door on the way out. He said, you preached that better last week. So, you know, you're, well, there were pens, and we didn't have computers. Uh, we're, we're burning hot when it came to the, the harvest uh, times. But I think when we come into a harvest season, uh, it, it can't be just one of those things that we do. Can't be. There's no meaning to it. The approach which I took was to certainly use this moment uh, in harvest uh, as a welcome time to stop gather, reflect, and give thanks. Give thanks for all of the blessings of the past year and all of the blessings of life. Because, you know, you're, you and I don't really, I know you see it on your TV, but we don't really appreciate how awesome it is to live in Northern Ireland. I know there are all sorts of people about the place uh, whom you might not like, but this has got to be the most blessed piece of land on the whole of planet Earth. And we need, to, we, we need to, to, to realize that and appreciate that. And, and so this is what I would have done with Harvest. Uh, the blessings of the year, not just food, but for everything. Uh, to look out and to see also large parts of, of our world that do not have a harvest for one reason or another. And if I am a Christian, I am a steward of God's world. That's what happened back in Genesis 1 and 2. We were stewards, made stewards, and we are still stewards, and that's a responsibility which we have, and we need to look at that very, very, very seriously. But in all of this, we need to be careful that it isn't all just contrived. It's supposed to be a time of thanksgiving, but that's, that's not easy after the past year, is it? Really difficult. Political turmoil at home, never mind anywhere else. War in Europe, massive food and energy prices, climate and refugee crises. And how, how do we give thanks to God after such a wet summer? You know, all that talk about the rain coming and softening the soil so things can go. I venture that there are probably farmers who wish the rain would fall on somebody else's soil just for a change. Well, let's face it. You and I are more likely to be moaning, and groaning, anxious, and irritable. Perhaps then, the harvest thanksgiving, uh, this harvest thanksgiving, should be used as a time to reflect. And I'm suggesting to reflect on Paul's lessons in gratitude, because that's what you, this, this Colossian letter, it is full of thanksgiving. It is full of gratitude. Lessons in gratitude. Despite having every reason to be angry, Paul was in prison, and it wasn't 
you know, it wasn't one of our cushy prisons. This was a Roman prison. Dirty, filthy, stinking, rats, smelly, damp. You got it, you name it, and it was there. Angry is what he should have been as a human being, but he wasn't. He fills his letter to the young church at Colossae with God-glorifying thankfulness. I want to look at that for a few minutes. I'll try to keep it as short as possible. Four things, I'll give them to you. The first thing is this that we're going to learn from Paul's letter to the, to the Colossians. Thanksgiving, to exercise the ministry of gratitude, is not natural. So, Paul prays for it in the lives of the Colossians. We have not stopped praying for you, he says, giving joyful thanks to God the Father. Between verses 9 and 12, this one up at uh, the top up there is the first one. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Being thankful is not natural. Disappointment, anger, grumbling are the normal. You just got to listen to people. You turn on the TV, everybody's moaning. Turn on the news. Everybody's moaning. Everybody's got a complaint. Common human responses to hard times. It's a symptom of our fallenness. It's a symptom of our sinful self-centeredness. Human beings see themselves at the center of their own little universe. And everything else has got to revolve around it. And if the world isn't revolving around my likes and needs, well, we complain. We give off. So if our life has been tough this year, even maybe we might feel almost impossible, and it may for some, even in the church, then we plead with him to fill what can only be described as, as our darkened understanding, our dim eyes and ears and hearts, with the inheritance waiting for the saints in light. Away over there at verse 12. Here's Paul's encouragement to thanksgiving in verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has... Now, here's, here's the center of joy. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and we are qualified to be saints in God's kingdom, one of the marked things about our lives should be thankfulness. It's not easy. It's not easy. We are more prone, more prone to give off and to complain. And so what I'm saying to you simply is this, under this first heading, we have got to try and get it into our heads that thankfulness is not easy, not even for a Christian. And so we're going to have to work at it. We're going to have to keep it in mind to be thankful to God in our praying, in our outreach in our whatever ministry we have in our families and our jobs and a thankfulness that should overflow to touch other people we'll come come to that in in just a, a little second thankfulness is is not natural second thing thanksgiving or gratitude guards our minds chapter 2 
verses 8 and 9. Let me uh, read these two verses to you. Here we are. I think it's verses 8 and... Yes, here we are. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. I should have started in verse 7 rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Thanksgiving is, is not only a gift in us by the grace of God, but it also becomes like a, like a fortress, uh, a, a wall of spiritual protection around us. These things that we read about in Paul's letters, they, they are not just out there somewhere. They are spiritual things. Look at where the phrase overflowing and with thankfulness occurs. I should have come there first. It's part of a sentence which reads, continue to live your life in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And we read the other bit. I see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. That's the whole theme of this letter, to, to, to be thankful and to realize that this this. This lifestyle of thankfulness is actually a guard against evil. It's a weapon against Satan itself because it is something that comes from God by the Holy Spirit. To warn and confront false teaching in the lives of believers. That's where Paul was at because the the Colossians were getting all sorts of, of false teaching. And therefore, thanksgiving is part of the defense. And not only is thanksgiving or gratitude part of the defense, but to be overflowing. Paul is not content with being, well, thank you, God, for my food today. Thank you for my family. Thank you for... You've got to be overflowing. It's got to be there all the time. So it's not easy. It's not natural. One writer describes it as relentless gratitude. Relentless gratitude. Well, Paul's talking about our minds there, deceptive philosophies and so on. How are our minds this harvest Thanksgiving Sunday? Have they been overcome with doubts so that we don't really see God as having anything to do with the food we eat or the wealth we have? Now, that's the tone of the whole society in which we live. God isn't there. And it's, it's, it's almost overwhelming, an overwhelming uh, atmosphere, environment. And I can understand if we begin to think like that. And do we? Do we? We need to ask ourselves that question. And how does that measure against a ministry of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving guards our minds. Satan, I think, might run from a body of Christian people, believers, who are bubbling over with thanksgiving. Thirdly, thanksgiving touches everything. As Paul nears the end of his letter in chapter 3, he emphatically stresses the vital and spiritual importance of 
gratitude. Here's a passage, you, you will know this. This is the kind of passage you'll find on fridge magnets and all sorts of places. Chapter 3 at, at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. It's in there amongst all those important things. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with what? Gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, doing what? Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Three times in a few short verses. Thanksgiving, gratitude. He repeats himself again and again and again. He's driving home his point. Let peace rule in your hearts with thankfulness. Sing. Sing with thankfulness. Whatever you say and do, say it and do it with thankfulness to God the Father through Jesus, who is your Savior from sin, if He is your Savior from sin. As one writer puts it, and it's, it's a nice way of putting it, we are to give off the aroma of thankfulness. Perhaps then, one result of this Harvest Thanksgiving service is to use it as an opportunity to commit ourselves to thankfulness, gratitude in every uh, department of our lives, our work, our family, our social life, yes, and our church life. To remember that no matter what our circumstances are, if God has made us His, and we read that in chapter 1, and promised himself to us forever with an eternal inheritance. We have reasons. We have endless reasons to be ever so grateful, thankful, thankful to him, and to let that thankfulness spread out and touch others. And the last thing, thanksgiving requires watchfulness. Chapter 4, and verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. But prayer is not a random thing. It's not a casual thing. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. It's amazing, isn't it? He gets it in, in every chapter. The last of his exhortations is probably actually the most difficult. Devote yourselves to prayer. We find that difficult at any time. Being watchful and thankful. Being a follower of Jesus is not easy and certainly not passive. It's an, the, the Christian faith is an action faith. It's an action religion. It requires perseverance. It requires watchfulness. It requires prayer. And those who coast, just coast along, inevitably they coast away from Christ. You're not going to work at it, it won't work. Uh, either because Satan, uh, this is uh, really the parable of the sower, either because Satan snatches them away from the pathway of life, or some kind of difficulty, suffering, 
uh, uh, chokes the, 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 the young faith that they may have, or what is probably the more usual, uh, the, the uh, wealth, uh, pleasures, uh, normal everyday cares draw us away. Parable of the sower. So Paul says, pray continually. Watch vigilantly. And this amazing thing, and be thankful. Be thankful. You know, I'm going to tell you, if, if there is nothing else goes out in your head, in your mind, uh, this Harvest Thanksgiving Sunday, let it be this exhortation to be thankful. Two words, be thankful. Not because the preacher said it, but because God has said it. Thankfulness then, like prayer, it is, I suppose, what they would call a spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline. It won't come easy because it's not natural. It's a habit of grace that requires effort, and it requires intentionality. I have got to intend to do it. When I go out through these doors, I have got to determine that wherever I'm going, whatever I'm going to be doing this week, there is going to be an aroma of gratitude flowing out from me because that's what God the Holy Spirit has put into me. So as we travel through uh, the, the fallen world, the sinful world around, a world in bondage to corruption, pray persistently with watchfulness and overflowing gratitude. Fight, as it were, to see God, to see the church, to see the world, and to see yourself clearly and truly through eyes of the heart, which are eyes of thankfulness. Let's pray. Father, we are going to find it just so difficult when we go out of here to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. We are so sorry. But on the other hand, O oh Lord, we know that it is possible because you wouldn't have asked us if it weren't. It is possible if we will commit ourselves to you, commit ourselves to your word, leave ourselves open to your divine spirit, your Holy Spirit, to, to make the word, make the book live in us. Lord, we can be sure that thankfulness will begin to overflow from us. And may it be a sweet aroma which will touch every person and every situation into which we will find ourselves during this coming week. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.